0: All right, well, hey, you thought 2019 was going to get over and you'd never hear any more from the WCHL podcast, but boy, did we throw you for a loop. We've got one more to go here for 2019, and it's a special one. We're going to have the head coach for the University of Central Oklahoma Broncos, Michael Rivera, on as a guest. So, hey, let's hear some crunchy guitar and get right to it. And on the other end, we'll talk to Coach Rivera. Coach Rivera. Hi there. Hey, this is Chris Perry. I'm the commissioner of the Western Collegiate Hockey League, and as promised on this edition of the WCHL podcast, it's a special guest, the head coach at the University of Central Oklahoma Broncos. It's Michael Rivera. Michael, thanks for taking uh, time out of your evening to join us today.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Happy to do it. Yeah, well, Michael, you've you've, you've got quite the history there at UCO, so let's kind of get into it here. Um, And you've got a little non-traditional background, so... uh, Born in El Paso, Texas, right there on the um, uh, USA-Mexico border. How in the world did a young man from El Paso get involved into uh, playing hockey?
1: So when I was about five years old, my dad's job actually took us uh, to New Jersey for about five years, and that's where I actually picked up the game and fell in love with it. And then my dad's job moved us back to El Paso when I was about 10, and at the time, There is, I mean, truly, um, for most of my youth career, there wasn't much hockey in El Paso, but there was, um, at one point, a Western Professional League team there called the El Paso Buzzards, and so uh, a couple of the guys had stuck around and started a youth program, and so I jumped on board with that and um, just kept it going uh, through youth hockey and then eventually to juniors.
0: The um, the El Paso Buzzards from the old Wiffle, the Western Professional Hockey League, and then later the Central Hockey League, they were a uh, they were a beast. They could uh, they they were you know the cream of the crop in the in the Wiffle, and even when it uh, transitioned over to the Central Hockey League, they were still one of the top programs. They would fill the El Paso County Coliseum up to the to the brim.
1: Yeah, they would. No, it was a a cool experience. I went to some games when I was younger, you know, different time, different game, um, a lot of fights, but it was, was, you know, it was exciting. They had that uh, jacuzzi behind the visitor's net, which I always thought was pretty cool when I was growing up, and, um, you know, they would pack about, I don't know about, I don't know what the county calls him holds off the top of my head, but I would say it's probably about 5,000 people in that
0: building. And they had some, uh, you know, for, for folks that don't know, the, the Western Professional Hockey League was a uh, Texas-based minor pro league, and they had some great rivalries with um, some, geez, Corpus Christi. Um, uh, eventually it became, uh, uh, when, the, when the Central League joined up, it was uh, Laredo and Rio Grande Valley, but they also had New Mexico, Odessa, uh, Abilene, uh geez Fort Worth they had some great um Austin the Austin ice bats so do you other than the jacuzzi do you remember um uh, as you said you, you've been a couple of those games there were lots of fights it was kind of uh it was a double a hockey at the time so the way the way they got people into the stands was uh, by having lots of fights on the ice yeah
1: you know the game was the game was different at that time I mean even even the NHL was a different game at that time and so it just kind of trickled down to the minor leagues and, you know, without that Western professional league, there really would be no hockey in West Texas, Um, you know, with Odessa, Amarillo, Albuquerque, El Paso, all those teams. um, The reason that there's youth hockey is because there was, there was professional teams at one point and typically, you know, a player stuck around after his playing days. And those are the guys that got involved and started the youth hockey programs. And it's the reason that, you know hockey even exists in that part of the
0: country now that's the truth yep everybody it's it it even rings true here in Oklahoma City uh those guys come down to play pro hockey they find themselves a girl and um they they lay down some roots and next thing you know you've got hockey booming so uh, kind of interesting now I know Michael that you played uh when when you came back well let's go back to New Jersey was that ice hockey was that roller hockey was it a little bit of both
1: it was a little bit of both. I started in roller hockey and then made the transition to ice, and I was about 10, nine, ten years old.
0: Okay. Uh, but you were, and in, in you still, when you went back to El Paso, was it still ice hockey and roller hockey, or was it one more predominantly than the other?
1: It was, it was both, but predominantly roller hockey. That's kind of how I um, was able to travel a little bit more. We didn't really have... We had we had youth teams in El Paso for ice hockey, but it was such a short season. With uh, when we were still playing out of the Coliseum, we only had ice for limited months. So you could play roller year-round. Um, there was probably a bigger roller population at the time. Uh, that's not true anymore. Uh, at the time in El Paso, so most of the most of the better players played roller hockey, and we, we traveled a lot more. So I predominantly played roller until I was about. 14, 15, you know, all while playing ice, but that's when I really started getting into ice uh, full-time.
0: Okay, well, the reason I ask, I mean, I, I Googled Mike Rivera uh, before we, you know, got onto the, uh, onto the the pod here today, and I saw where there's a an entry there for Mike Rivera playing roller hockey uh, for Team USA. What's, is, what's that all about?
1: Yeah, a couple summers ago after I was done playing at UCO, they do a... a they do an annual event called uh, called the world roller games and it's always in a different country. Um, sometimes in Europe, sometimes in Asia, and there's a selection committee. You simply drop an application, uh, based off the credentials of where you played. And, uh, I got, you know, lucky enough to be, to be chosen. Um, and so I was able to go compete with a group of guys. We went to Nanjing, China and played, um, couple games out there and it's like a tournament style there's an a bracket and a b bracket and we didn't we didn't have that great of a showing but it was it was a great experience being able to play hockey in china is something that i never thought i'd be able to say uh i'd be able to do
0: and you get to wear the usa across your chest huh
1: yeah, absolutely. And I think no matter what the level is, whether it's ice roller, if you get to represent the United States, it's it's really cool.
0: That's kind of wild. You get to kind of bracket your your ice hockey, at least your playing career, with a little bit of roller because you, as you said, you started off playing roller um, and transitioned uh, more to ice. And here after you're through playing uh, uh, at UCO and uh, through your playing days, then you bracket that with playing off some roller uh, for Team USA over in China. That's kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, I know it's a fun way to stay, you know, involved in the game. I think that that's one thing that any guy who's played at a competitive level uh, misses the most is just that that compete that you used to have, you know, week in and week out. Um, and roller hockey kind of provided me as an outlet to be able to continue to to compete in some tournaments in the summer. Um, you know, it's a little bit, it's different than ice. It's not a year-round thing, but there's some pretty good tournaments that do cash prizes and, you know, some good, some good hockey players that are, you know, much better than the ACHA uh, X players. Uh, there's some Division One players and some guys in the NHL that play in some of these tournaments. You know, Jake Pertanen plays roller. Um, a couple other guys that are like in the farm systems that uh, jump out into these tournaments because they grew up playing in a non-traditional market, and so they they stick with their roots and play in the summers, and it, it makes a pretty competitive uh, pretty competitive summer.
0: That's very cool. That's very cool. And you got to, how long of a trip was it from? Uh well from the united states over to china oh i
1: i couldn't tell you off the top of my head probably about 12 hours i want to say it was, it was something crazy like that it was it was a long flight it's a, it was a it was definitely a culture shock it was a different experience but it was it was unique and it was it was really cool um we played in a huge stadium of course there was only about maybe 100 people in the entire building but uh they put us in a huge stadium with some pretty cool accommodations, and, and treated us like uh, we were professionals for just a couple of days. So that's always a, a good experience.
0: That is wild. Well, yeah, I can't imagine uh, you know, you know, being in a being in an airplane for 12, 15 hours, however long it took to get over there. Wow, that's crazy. But uh, what what an experience, huh? You learn something new every day. That's that's interesting. So so you played roller, um, or you. Now, you played, I also saw that you played, what, a year before you started um, uh, playing uh, junior hockey with the Buzzards, with the with the Buzzards of the Western States League. Did you play a couple of games of uh, roller hockey at in the college level?
1: Yeah, so when I was coming out of high school, I, uh, I got an acad- academic scholarship to Arizona State, and so I decided to just go to school. Um, I knew they had a club roller hockey team, which there you know that club system is called the ncrha it's similar to the way the acha is set up and uh i need the coach of the team and so i went out there and and figured i'd play some roller and just get my education um did a semester there and decided that i missed ice hockey and wanted to come home and play play junior hockey and give it a shot
0: you you you, tempe was uh was a little too much huh yeah, I prefer quiet Edmonds uh, over <laughs> over Tempe. So, well, I I do too. I Tempe has a lot of bells and whistles, and boy, it sure is nice. But man, I would uh, I would be too distracted if I went there. Wow. So uh, so you w- went there uh, for a semester, and then you came back, and you still played what three two and a half years of of junior hockey for the hometown Rhinos. They're no longer the Buzzards; they're now the Rhinos in the in the Western right. States League. And did you you played for a former Buzzards player, uh, Corey Herman? He was the head coach, wasn't he?
1: Yep, I played for Corey from the time that I moved back to El Paso from about eleven years old, kind of eleven years old, all the way until I was uh, aged out of juniors.
0: Okay, and 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 what was that like going from a semester of school at, at Party Town USA in Tempe back to playing? ice hockey and being a rock star on the uh, El Paso Rhinos because El Paso is one of the, when you think of the Western States league, there are the haves and the have nots and El Paso. What, what coach Herman has built there, they're definitely one of the haves. They're the, they're one of the uh, uh, better programs that they'll, that they've ever had there in the Western States league. So what's it like to go from playing uh, roller hockey in Tempe to all of a sudden being one of the studs on the ice there for the rhinos and the hometown team?
1: a lot different you know you you practice at 7 a.m. every single day you have workouts after so you're pretty you're pretty busy you know Um, it's a lot different than just going to school uh, in Tempe where you could wake up at noon and get away with it now you're up every day at seven practicing so you know what they built down there um, with the amount of fans that they're able to put in the building and and the product that they put on the ice year in year out it's pretty special but it's definitely earned every single day you got to wake up and, and work hard. Otherwise you'll be shipped out. So it's, it's, it's a lot of work, but it was, it's fun. You know, on the weekends you're rewarded. Uh, like you said, you get treated like a rock star, uh, people down there for lack of better words, don't really understand the game of hockey. Um, at least not to the extent that they would know that, they, that it's junior hockey and that we weren't professionals. So they treat you as such. They treat you like a professional. They ask for your autograph after the game. Um, people wear your jersey it's kind of you know it's it's crazy um but it's it, it's a great experience it's a great place to play junior hockey it's definitely a special building you know it's actually a barn um used to be used for equestrian prior to becoming an ice hockey ring and uh it's it's not one of the my opinion obviously with the biased opinion one of the best junior hockey ranks in the united states especially at that level
0: yeah see you there, there's no doubt about that they uh they've they've found themselves a, a great market and built up a great brand with a uh, uh, and as you say they've, they've got a captive audience um, and, and they play up the uh, uh, the physicality and you know there's nothing wrong with that because the rhinos uh, they they um, you know the, the the proof is in the pudding how many times do they go to the uh, uh, I, I forget you're gonna have to help me and educate me on the Western States League but is it the Thorn Cup?
1: Thorn Cup championship.
0: Yep. And so how many times has El Paso won that thing?
1: They've won it four times since 2006 when they first started playing in the league. Okay. And they're on a back-to-back streak right now going for three in a row.
0: Yeah, not bad. And how many times did you win the Thorn Cup with them?
1: I, unfortunately, was not part of a Thorn Cup championship team. Okay. Um, always always made it to the tournament. Uh, could never get the job done.
0: Wow, so you so you made it to the final tournament and and how does the Western states League do it? Don't they bring in like four or six teams in like a round robin type of event before they get down to the final two?
1: So they've kind of bounced around with some different formats. Um, even when I played, it was different. It wasn't consistent throughout the time that I was there. So at the beginning, it used to just be you know there were a lot less teams, and it would just be two divisions. Um, you win your division, then the two teams play a three game series for Thorn Cup, and then, in my second year, that's when they started the four team. Um, they expanded the league, four divisions, four teams would come to a tournament. You play a round robin, then they seed into uh, into the semifinals, and then they went back to a playoff series. And now they're back to the tournament style. So now <laughs> I think there's I think there's four divisions, and they they, they started the tournament again. Um, that's the way it's been the last two
0: years. So interesting, interesting. All right. Well, so tell me then how you found. Um how did how did Michael Rivera go from uh, being a rock star in El Paso, his hometown, to uh, f- how did he find his way to Central Oklahoma?
1: Craig McAllister, really? He has, a, he has a way of finding finding uh, people in odd places like El Paso, Texas, I guess. And <laughs> uh, he came and saw me at the Western State Showcase. Um, some email correspondence, and kind of kind of took off from there.
0: Really? Now, did you ever, having been at ASU for a semester, did you ever consider going uh, back to Arizona State to uh, play ice hockey out there?
1: You know, I did. Um, definitely something I considered, but you know, at the time, Arizona State was a—they were a powerhouse—and I wanted to make sure that I was going to go somewhere that I was able to uh, to play, and I felt I felt confident that. Um, based off of what I was told by Craig, that I would have a good chance of making the lineup every game. And so ultimately I just wanted to be able to, you know, jump in and be an impact player uh, because at the time I was, while I was playing juniors, I was actually taking classes there at uh, the local university. So I, I only had two years left in my undergrad um, coming out to UCO or going to any school. So I didn't really have time to pay my dues as a freshman and, and develop. I kind of, you know, I was running on a short timeline, so I had to make it happen pretty quick. So I felt comfortable with, with going to UCO for that reason.
0: Very nice. Very nice. Well, interesting. I was going to ask if Craig went down to El Paso, but it makes more sense that he went out to the showcase out in Las Vegas and watched you guys. Yeah. 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 So you end up at, in, in Edmond, Oklahoma, and go ahead, Michael, tell, be honest, what was your first impression after you landed in Edmond, Oklahoma, coming from, after being in Tempe, after being in El Paso, which is a a small town, but it's a big small town. And now you're in suburban Oklahoma city.
1: So I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't come out on a visit. Um, obviously I looked things up online. Um, but I just packed up my car and drove out here and, um, you know, I can honestly say that what I had in my mind of Oklahoma was not what Edmond was. Um, it was a little bit different. Yeah. But you know, it's a nice place. It's it's a great place. I mean, it's green. I grew up in the desert. Uh, we don't really have grass and trees and things like that, so that was kind of cool. Um, but it's I, I really enjoy Edmond. I mean, obviously, I finished up school here and stuck around and now bought a house out here. So you know, I think it's I think it's a great place. So I really do enjoy it.
0: Yeah, it's just a lot different than living uh, living, as you say, in the desert a little further south, especially being on the border, because um, you're uh, it's it's a, there's a whole lot of uh, suburbs and a whole lot of uh, soccer moms and not a whole lot of you know working folks, blue collar folks. Um, it's, it's just a different kind of vibe, not, not knocking it. I grew up in Edmond, so, uh, I I just, I know that it's a, it can be a culture shock for some to come from a, a big city, a bustling big city to a kind of a sleepy little suburb.
1: Yeah, no, it definitely was a little bit of a culture shock too. I mean, uh, you know, obviously the elephant in the room is that every, you know, El Paso is predominantly Hispanic culture, um. And I grew up in that, and, and obviously, you know, embraced that growing up, and then coming out here, it's a little bit different, right? Now you're, um, you know, the demographics are slightly different, um, the, the, the cultures is different, and so, you know, to an extent, there was a little bit of a culture shock, but the one thing that I can say about Oklahoma is that everybody from day one was just so welcoming and so helpful, and, and truly, you know, there's there's some great people out here.
0: Yep, yep, there's no there's I didn't even think about that. Now, are you bilingual?
1: no i'm not okay um my parents both speak spanish uh, my sister and i do not i grew up in a household where my parents would speak spanish uh but not not predominantly um yeah. they didn't you know i understand a, a small amount but they didn't really expect us to know it um kind of wish that i would have learned it but uh Unfortunately, I don't know Spanish.
0: Well, you know, you probably know enough to uh know when food is on the table or when you're being cussed out by your your mom or your dad when your name is being thrown around, regardless whether it's in English or Spanish.
1: Yeah, you know, I think uh it's kind of funny when uh, you people when whenever they get their most angry, they go back to their most native language and um you know, when my grandma would get mad at me growing up, it always all of a sudden turn to Spanish and I'd kind of lose track of what I was in trouble for because it, it became Spanish real quick and I stopped understanding her about halfway through. So it's, um, but you know, it, it was, it was a good culture to grow up in, you know, obviously being, being Hispanic myself, you know, it's something that I, that I do embrace and, uh, you know, try to be proud of.
0: Yeah. Well, you you ought to be, I, I, I live in a, in a bilingual house myself and yeah, I know when, when I get in trouble, there's a little bit of Spanglish that all of a sudden goes on and, uh, Yeah, interesting, interesting. I got to got to look out for a Chancla. So, uh oh <laughs> boy.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Well, so 3 years of playing at UCO and uh you kind of, you know, sold yourself a little, you know, you didn't just fit in. You were kind of, you know, you were you were the lead dog there at, at for your 3 years at UCO. Um captain of the team. You won the national championship in twenty fifteen. The uh, tournament MVP because you only scored a hundred gazillion goals there in uh, what was that Cleveland? I think it was wasn't it Gilmore Academy or no Youngstown, Youngstown, Ohio. Strongsville. Strong. There it is. Strongsville. Yeah, Strongsville. Yeah, scenic place right right across the parking lot from the Holiday Inn. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, tell me, what, what did you study at UCO?
1: I got my undergrad in accounting and then I did my master's in business administration.
0: Okay. So in the business school and then, uh, so you, you, you play three years of hockey and you, and you get your degree and then, uh, and then what do you do? Because I, I know that you were out, I know you weren't coaching with, uh, with coach McAllister immediately after graduation.
1: Right. So I took, I took a year and, um, right after I was done, I had to finish up my my MBA. And so I was taking classes, working full time, and then also coaching uh, the 16U team uh, for the local, the Oil Kings.
0: Oh, okay. The Oklahoma City youth team. Okay. Yep. And then, uh, and then you said the heck with this. I'm going to go back and, uh, and, and be a coach, be an assistant coach with uh, with Craig and Conster." How did that work out? Did you reach out to him? Did he reach out to you?
1: You know, I, I met him for lunch for a completely different reason um, other than coaching. And we got on the topic of our youth team. Uh, me and another buddy were trying to get something started here, and things just didn't work out with the youth association. And I was talking to Craig about it, explained to him, you know, kind of our struggles with him having gone through that. And his comment was wait, so you don't have a team this year? You're not coaching youth hockey? I said, no. And he said, you're coaching with me then. Right. <laughs> and I mean, at that point it was kind of just, yeah, absolutely. And I was obviously really excited about it, get to be back a part of the program and, um, you know, had to go home and check with the boss and got the green light and then I was good to go.
0: Now uh, uh, this whole time while you're being an assistant coach with, uh, with Craig, are you also still working full time? Oh my goodness! Oh wow! All right, so that so you y'all—that's why you had to go check in with the boss because all of your free time is now going to be consumed not with her or the home life, but uh, with hockey or work.
1: Yeah, you no, know, it's a it's a busy schedule, but uh, you know I'm lucky enough that I have a job that's flexible um, and allows me to coach and be on the road and and still handle my business. So pretty lucky
0: in that regard all right all right well very good so you became a you you're you're an assistant what were you an assistant with Craig for two years was it two years what was um how was that to go from uh from a player under Craig to now being an assistant under Craig was that a difficult transition was it an easy transition
1: So it was an easy transition in terms of the relationship when I was playing. Craig and I always had a pretty good, open relationship. Uh, You know, wearing a letter, you spend some extra time in the coach's office talking about certain things, and so I kind of understood uh, the method to his madness um, while I was still playing. But uh, the biggest thing is, you know, once you get behind, you know, closed doors and you're not wearing the jersey anymore, you know, you learn some things that you were unaware of while you were playing, you know, I think that it's probably pretty common in a lot of locker rooms. I would imagine where, you know, the guys just don't think the coach knows everything he really does. And, and Craig knows everything. I mean, he always did. Um, Nobody was pulling the wool over his eyes and you start to realize that real quickly. Once you get on staff that, you know, he knew the whole time, it's just a matter of how he decided to handle, handle things. And um, so that was cool kind of getting to see how he was, he was pulling the strings behind the closed door without anybody realizing it. And, um, you know, obviously it worked well for him.
0: Yeah, I'd say it did. I'd say it did two national championships. That's nothing, nothing to sneeze at. Absolutely. Yeah. So were you, were were you, were you on staff when, um, were you on staff as an assistant when they were, when they won their second championship or was that the year that you were dealing with the oil Kings?
1: that was the year i was involved with youth hockey so i've okay. only been involved in one, one of the national championships
0: all right all right well I, there's nothing wrong with that i know that uh i know from personal experience you get a big fat ring out of it i've seen it up close <laughs> so uh so what d- d- tell me or, or talk to me a little bit about what that experience was like because you've been to the thorn cup a few times and you got close you said but um you know didn't uh didn't achieve that unfortunately but here at the you made nationals all three years and you finally lifted the cup during your second year what was what was different about that or what was that experience like a uh, uh, versus the thorn cup
1: i think uh you know for me personally i had a pretty big chip on my shoulder from coming so close in juniors and never getting it done so when I came here, you know, I had my mindset that, you know, all I wanted to do was win a national championship um, and be part of a championship team. That was just something that I hadn't done yet. And it was, it was really important to me. And my freshman year, I ended up having to get surgery right before national. So I didn't get to go um, up to Delaware. I think it was that year. And so I kind of had a little, a little bit extra chip, um, you know, having missed it the year before. And um, you know, it was, it was special. We had a special group of guys you know, the biggest thing I think from that group was that, you know, it was never one person. It was, we were scoring by committee. Um, we had four lines that could roll three lines that were all contributing on the score sheet pretty heavily. Um, it was just, it was fun. You know, we went on an 18 game win streak, you know, it's kind of hard to be upset when you're winning a lot of hockey games and you know, the, Everything just kind of went, went our direction for the most part that year. And, and, you know, we were lucky enough to get it done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, I, all I remember was number seven in, uh, in blue for UCO was a blur on the ice. The kid could skate and he could, he could skate uh, fast. And the puck never left his stick. Um, you know, he could, uh, I remember you could always skate with your head up and didn't have to worry about where the puck was cause it was on your stick or it was going to find its way to your stick. So, uh, so, in in you're right. UCO came in waves because there was you on that team, and there was a couple of other speedsters on that team. And it was just that speed just absolutely killed people.
1: Yeah, we had Sam Rice and Josh Wyatt and Brandon Harley, Brandon Promosa. Um, it was a pretty it was a pretty heavy heavy roster. Nolan Grower, Rylan Dooley. I mean, everybody that you know was contributing and you know, at Nationals, it just happened to be lucky to draw that it was my turn to contribute and pucked on the back of the net for me. And, it, you know, obviously, you know, I, all, my line mates uh, carried a lot of the load. I think Josh Wyatt had probably had five himself that tournament. So, you know, just lucky enough that it went off my stick last, but, you know, it was a group it was a group contribution to get
0: that done. Yeah. Wyatt was a speed demon too. you I, I forget who was on your, who was on the other wing with, uh, with you and Wyatt because he was the slowest of the three.
1: <laughs> and he was pretty fast. Uh, Trevor Yee, he only played one season with
0: us. Yeah. Yeah. He was the freshman year. He was a good little player. I was going to say, let's, let's not, uh, I don't want to give the impression that uh, Duels was, uh had any uh, skating skills whatsoever. He could find the, the, the back of the net, but <laughs> how he found his way down 200 feet on the ice, I have no clue. That was the kid had the ugliest stride I ever saw. Holy smokes.
1: Oh, yeah. They, uh, everyone told him he skated like a ham sandwich. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he, he didn't move that well, but uh, the best part about any game was at some point he was going to cut to the middle and somebody was going to let him out. It yep. never failed. And then when when he would get up, he'd use a stick and it would bend about it was like a fifty flex, you know, as he would try to prop himself up back off the ice. But <laughs> and it would you know, we always got a good laugh out of that. But then you look at the score sheet at the end of the game and he's he's got one and one every night and so you know, he found a way to put the puck in the net. And I think for, until for most of Formosa past him last year and maybe the year before, Dooley was all time leading goal scorer for UCO.
0: Really? Really? Well, I, yep. I just, I, I didn't know that. I knew that the kid, it's one of those deals where you look at a kid and you wince when you watch him skate. But then, at the, as you say, at the end of the day, you're looking at the score sheet and damned if he doesn't have a goal and a couple of assists. You know, he's got, it's. he's putting up the points, even though he's, uh, he's an ugly skater. So, uh, hey, what, whatever works, it worked for him. And, uh, but please, let's not uh, put him in the same classes uh, speed wise as number seven or number four. Holy smokes. So, uh, all we right.
1: actually, the th- three of us actually played on a line together senior year. <laughs> Me, Josh, and uh, Dooley.
0: Yeah, so he distracted everybody while you and Wyatt just uh, just skated around everyone and and, and scored. <laughs> I get it. I see. And McAllister once again pulling the strings. <laughs> all right. So, so what? What uh, were there any style differences between playing for Coach Harmon, who you knew? You know, as you said, from when you were. 10 11 years old to now playing for coach mcallister because i got to believe that they had a different style of hockey that they both like to play
1: definitely different um i would say yeah no they're definitely different um you know corey corey herman's a he's a tough coach to play for he's not he's not for everyone um that's why guys don't last too long down there if you're not built a certain way you won't be able to handle uh the way things are. He expects a lot out of his players. Um he, you know, the way the even if you're a top 6 guy, you know, you got to finish your hits. He expects everybody to answer the bell and do things, you know, he, he believes in playing the right way and um probably a little bit less of a talent game, more of a of a, you know, get it deep, finish your checks, pucks to the net kind of system. Um, and Craig was Craig allowed a lot more creativity. Um, you know, he let us do do our thing. You know, especially like on the power play or in the offensive zone. He never really, you know, put too many restrictions on us. Um, the one thing where him and Corey were extremely similar was the way they coached the defensive zone and doing things the right way in the D zone. They both, you know, hammered us on that. Um, but. Craig definitely let us play with a little bit more creativity. Um, it's also a different game, right? College versus junior. So there's, I think that would be where a lot of the differences are, but at the same time, you know, Craig was, he, he was old school. Um, you know, he grew up in a different time. Uh, and he, so he coached the game that way, uh, hard nose hockey as well, but, um, definitely different. I, I guess where you know, systematically it's hard for me to, you know, sit here and say, uh, where the differences really really were but personality wise is more to me where their differences are
0: yeah yeah cory when he played i i don't know him as a coach but i, I when uh, I, I know him from afar as a player he was just a tough nut didn't have an awful lot of talent but the kid worked his sack off and he would just grind you into oblivion for 60 minutes and that's the way the El Paso Buzzards were. They had some they had some flash and they had some bang. They had some scores, but uh, they were just a working hard, grinding, tough as nails team. You knew when you played the Buzzards, whether they came to you or you went to them, that it was going to be a slog for 60 minutes. It wasn't going to be no, there wasn't going to be a laydown, at least not from their team. And so I got to imagine that that's kind of the style that he coached was very blue collar, very hard work and very just Ground and pound, and you know, uh, uh, you know, just basically will the puck into the net. Whereas Craig has a little bit more. Um, I know from his style, hit from his playing days, he was a little bit more of a, uh, of a, of a, of a skater, and he, you know, wanted to to use some of that speed and make the puck move as opposed to having you move.
1: Definitely, yeah. the way The way they play the game, I think, is is really where they you hit it around the nail, you know where where their differences in their coaching style are um you know craig was a talent player and, and he coaches that way and, and he he likes those kind of players now he still he still wants you to be tough because you know craig he, he wasn't a big guy but I'll, you know you you piss him off and and he's he's a scary guy when he's when he's pretty pissed off it doesn't happen often but he can be pretty intimidating and you would never know it until it happens but um so he still expected that from his players but you know, he did allow for more creativity and more of a, a free-flowing game, a little quicker pace too.
0: Yep, yep. So so this year you enter into the 2019-2020 season. It's going to be your, what, your third year being an assistant with Craig behind the bench? Yep. And well, I don't know, what, six weeks, eight weeks into the season, all of a sudden you get, uh, you get told, hey, um, I'm stepping down and you're now the head coach. Coach McAllister stepped down for health reasons to take care of himself. And, um, he looks to Michael Rivera to be the head coach. What was, I, I guess, describe for, describe that experience, because I'm sure that had to be, that's not the typical ascension to the head coaching position that most people expect.
1: Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was overwhelming at first. Um, and you know, obviously the circumstances were unfortunate, you know, obviously don't want anything um to happen to craig and i understood why that he had to step away to take care of himself and so the circumstances weren't great but i'd be lying to say that you know i wasn't excited about the opportunity you know at the same time um there was obviously you know some apprehension with the way things were going to go moving forward um especially being thrown into the fire, if you will, um, but the fact that Craig had the confidence to um, push things in my direction gave, kind of gave me the confidence to be able to, uh, you know, take the reins and, 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 you know, move forward, and, you know, he had been kind of, you know, grooming me for the past couple of years and, and teaching me different things, and, you know, I felt confident that he had given me enough to, for me to be able to be successful going forward.
0: Okay, well, what's yeah? And, and you're right. I mean, it was unfortunate, um, but obviously, everyone wants. It's it's very understandable. No one wants to, you know, uh, worry about your health and uh, or or, you know, sacrifice your health just for just for hockey or for a job or for anything. You got to take care of yourself first. So, I think it's fair to say everybody was in shock, but also everybody understood what was going on with uh, with Craig. So what was other than just the, the transition from you know, you were one of a couple of guys behind the bench to now you're the guy behind the bench? I mean what what's been the biggest challenge so far now that you've you've been the head coach now for, know oh, I don't know what, six, eight what do you say, two months, two and a half months?
1: Yeah, I give or take. Yeah.
0: Um, so what's the big what's been the biggest challenge so far? Has it been, you know, getting the uh uh getting the, the, the attention of the guys who are used to Craig and now they got to get used to Mike being the guy or, or has it been dealing with the administrative side of stuff and the hockey stuff is easy or. You know?
1: I, uh, you know, I think for any coach, the administrative side of things is always going to be a little bit more daunting than the hockey side of things. The hockey side of thing is, is, you know, what we enjoy the most. Once you get on the ice, it's just like playing, you know, that's the reason that I believe that anybody would get into coaching is because they love the game so much. So once you get on the ice, everything just kind of seems to, to go away. And, and, and you know, so that's that's the fun part. Um, I think for me personally, what's been uh, the most difficult is your, your thought process throughout the day has to be, you know, what do I got to do? How do I structure this practice to accomplish A, B, C, and D so that we're ready to play, you know, Arizona State this weekend. Uh, so we're before when three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm just worried about what I have to take care of. Craig's coming with the practice plan. I just show up to the rink with the coffee in hand and mess around with the guys for a little bit. And he shows us what's going on, hop out there, push pucks, you know, grab guys, pull them to the side. Um, you're not really controlling the, the strategic side of things, if you will. Um, you're just kind of, you know, helping and, and adding uh, value where you can, whether it be, you know, with video, grabbing guys one-on-one, um, you know, little skill drills, trying to help a guy who's struggling. Um, and now you, you're, you're not looking – got to look at things in the big picture and you can't necessarily just coach for today. You know, you have to coach for how it's going to impact the team over the next couple of weeks and obviously over the course of the season. And so just having to – midway through a season kind of develop a strategy as to how i was going to do things and learning on the fly um because i didn't have much time to really sit down and think about it um as to how i wanted the season to go i kind of had to you know just make small adjustments as i went because i think the the biggest mistake i could have made would be to come in and um try to turn things upside down um and things would just kind of unravel. So it was just kind of making the little adjustments that I thought were going to move the team in the right direction. And um, so having to just consistently put thought into that, you know, it never really leaves your head. Um, even when you're trying to do normal work and, uh, you know, other things, you're consistently thinking about that. And so for me, that's, that's probably been the most challenging part, but at the same time, it's also the most rewarding when you feel like you've made a small adjustment that might've helped an individual that eventually helps the team or, or, you know, a systematic adjustment that may or may not have impacted the game. But, you know, if the outcome's a win, you, you feel like it does. And so that, um, that's the rewarding part, but it's also the most difficult.
0: Very nice. Very nice. What, what, Michael, what's been the, the biggest surprise so far? We've talked about what's been your biggest challenge uh, in assuming the, the, the head coaching position, but what's been the thing that surprised you the most? aside from the responsibilities and the, you know, now the all consuming 24 seven thought aspect of it.
1: You know, I, so I, I, it surprises me, but at the same time it shouldn't because I know the kind of guys we have in the locker room, but just, you know, the guys in the room have made it so easy on me, you know, right from day one. Um, you know, they, they said they were behind me and they, you know, they, they didn't just say it, they showed it on the ice. Um, they respected what I had to say. They didn't challenge me. Um, they, they bought into what I was trying to do. And so, like I said, it shouldn't surprise me with the quality of character that we have in that room. But at the same time, you know, it, it did kind of take me back just how quickly the guys adapted and, and, um, showed me the same kind of respect they showed Craig, because, you know, that it's something that's earned over, you know, your career as a coach or, you know, multiple seasons as a head coach and the guys have been, you know, great, um, giving me respect and and buying into what I'm trying to do. So that, that part's been, you know, surprising, but, uh, it's been great. It's made things a lot easier on me.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it'd be, as you said, the opposite would be, would just be no bueno at all. If the, uh, if they gave you grief. Well, Michael, so far, uh, we're, we're coming up here at the end of 2019, um, and you've seen the UCO season from both the assistant perspective and now from the head coaching perspective. How would you describe uh, the Broncos season so far up to now?
1: I would say that we, um, we lack consistency. I think that you know our ceiling is pretty high. We've proven that at times, but our floor is pretty low, and we've proven that at times. So it's just kind of finding that, that consistency of of playing the same way night in and night out. And I think that I'd like to believe that, you know, we're young and at times it could be lack of maturity, lack of experience that kind of has us playing, um, differently on different weekends and we're lacking that consistency. And so, you know, I think if we can, if we can find a way to, you know, escape the peaks and valleys and, and just kind of play, um, not, not necessarily the same, but on an upward trajectory and keep going up the hill and not falling back down. You know, I think that, um, you know, we'll put ourselves in a good opportunity to be there at the end of the year. Um, but we got a lot of work to do to get there.
0: Yeah. I've, um, and, and my, my next question was going to be, what's the focus for the rest of the, uh, rest of the way, but you just kind of hit on them. It's just kind of to sounds like it's to, to make those floors not as low and to keep, uh, getting more of those highs. Uh, and to quit being um, uh, inconsistent and uh, start to be a little bit more consistent.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the hardest things for a hockey team to do is, is, is be consistent. Um, but yeah, I think it just comes with, you know, reiterating it to the guys on a regular basis, um, whether it be practice or the game, to approach it the same way and, you know, hold the same standards and the same expectations every single day. And then it should, in turn, you know, resonate through the locker room and, and guys should start to understand and, and, and play at that with that consistency every, every game and so it's kind of just preaching that going forward the rest of the season while obviously you know tweaking systems and, and trying to you know make our power play a little bit better and things of that nature.
0: The thing I like about UCO is when you guys uh, and it was true under Craig and it's true now under under Michael Rivera, uh, when UCO plays hockey, they're a pretty damn good team. When they, they use that speed, they, they pass the puck. They've got some, uh, some strong defense that can jump into the play, and uh, they've also got some guys that can you know just lock down the blue line as well. But when they play hockey, they can be a deadly, deadly scary team but sometimes, uh, and maybe this is the inconsistency that you talk about. Sometimes, at least from my dumb perspective, and I'm not a hockey guy, people will tell you that all the time. Uh, it, you know, sometimes it gets. Uh, I, I sense that the team gets caught up in some of the baloney that goes on on the ice, whether it's trying to be a macho man with the other team, or whether it's you know fighting the officials. And when that happens, they kind of lose their focus and they allow teams or the officials to, you know, uh, stay in the game, and uh, it kind of brings them away. But boy, when you guys are clicking. It's uh, firing on all cylinders. It can be a scary, scary team.
1: Yeah, I think we can be our own worst enemy at times. Um, You know, we preach a hard forecheck, hard nose, physical game. Um, That's kind of always been our style where we've been able to bring the physical play. um, And it's kind of a live by the sword, die by the sword kind of of deal where, you know, we know we're going to kill a couple penalties every game just because of the way we play. Um, but it, it's kind of operating, you know, between the hard lines in the sand and having controlled aggression and, and understanding the timing of when and when not to take a penalty and, you know, telling the guys, we'll kill a hardworking penalty and a hardworking penalty, you know, all game. If you skate, you clean hit, you bury a guy, they call a boarding, we'll kill that off. But, you know, if you're behind the play and you whack a guy or you mouth off to the ref you know those are the kind of undisciplined penalties that really hurt the team and so trying to minimize those and and like i said operate between those hard lines in the sand i think uh i think we'll be better off and and you know not be our own worst enemy on some nights
0: yep yeah well there's no doubt about that and then you have plenty of opportunity too to uh uh move up in the in the in the rankings you're already in a good spot right now um, a solid spot for Nationals, but uh, you have the chance to move up even higher and get a better seed because you the schedule kind of flips in your favor. You've got uh, uh, games with the Colorado teams, but also uh, you've got Midland in the schedule. You've got another pair with uh, Oklahoma. And then uh, I think you have another – don't you have another test with Iowa State coming up, or am I wrong there? Nope,
1: correct. We go there in February, I believe.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you've the opportunity is there. Win some of those games, or win all most of those games, and uh, just take care of business. And you know, uh, the I think uh, UCO will uh, be in one of those prime positions to make a nice run down there in Frisco. So I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to. All right. Well, hey, uh, I appreciate your time. Before we go though, give me. I always ask this of the of the players to give me a good story about their coaches, but now you're a coach, so give me a uh, give me a good story about. Um, well, I'll I'll leave it to you. Give me a good either a Corey Corey Herman story, maybe a, a Craig McAllister story, or even a story on uh, on on a on a player who's not on your team now, but someone you want to bag on, maybe like the Dragon or something.
1: <laughs> um, you know, I get a I'll kick I
0: good. get I get a kick out of Dooley, so that's why I give him a hard time. He doesn't listen <laughs> to us anyway, so.
1: Yeah, this is, you know I don't know about that. You know, you guys have the best. You guys have the best podcast in the WCHL. So.
0: Yeah, have yeah, yeah, the best. Yeah, thanks. That's saying a lot. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks.
1: I'll, I, I think I'll keep the, the the Dooley stories in the vault um, for his <laughs> sake. But uh, my favorite, or one of my favorite, Craig McAllister stories uh, was 2015 Nationals, um, first game against Niagara you know, comes in and obviously as a coach, your first game nationals and every game, you know, subsequent to that, you're trying to deliver a speech. That's obviously going to hit home and and motivate the team and um, get the guys ramped up to play. And so Craig did just that. He comes in and he's, he's ready to get the guys going. And he starts, he clearly had something prepared and he had it on his lineup card and he starts reading it. It's a, you know, one shot, one opportunity, and he kind of keeps going, and everyone's kind of looking around the room. And Craig looks around, and he's like, what? What's wrong? We're like, Craig, are you are you reading Eminem lyrics right now? <laughs> and he had no idea that he re- that the quote that he read was literally quotes from an Eminem song, <laughs> and that's what he was reading to the guys. And so. Well, you know, at first it kind of, you know, it was getting the guys going and then we realized what it was and it gave us all a chuckle, kind of light in the mood. And, you know, maybe that kept us from gripping our sticks too tight and made the difference of us, you know, winning that first game and and continuing on. But it was, it was classic Craig and he had, of course he had no idea. And that was always one of my favorite moments. Um, Everyone you know, walked on the ice with a smile that night and we were ready to go. So, you know, he was, he was always good for that kind of stuff. You know, obviously we miss, we miss having him around. He's, um, he's a funny guy to have him. Like you, you'd be surprised at how funny Craig can really be. And, uh, he was always, he was always a good time. So we do miss having him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, well, he, he, he is a, he is a good time. And, uh, I always enjoyed giving Craig a hard time, um, do you still uh, keep in contact with with Craig? Does he still assist? Uh, Is he kind of like the, uh, the eye in the sky or the eye from afar that helps you out every now and then?
1: You know, I like uh, mine and Craig's relationship, you know, I were mentor mentee, um, but also friends. I'd like to say, Um, I don't know if he'd say the same. I hope he would, (laughs) but uh, you know, we, we, we talk pretty regularly. Um, He's, he's the kind of guy that he'll never um, tell me how I should be doing something um, unless I ask for, for help. Uh, he never imposes. Uh, he trusts, he trusts my, my instincts and um, my judgment. So he, he never, he never really imposes on the hockey side of things. But, you know, lately when we've been chatting, it's, it's just kind of housekeeping type things and catching up and, um, you know, hopefully I'll, he'll, we'll get them to come out to a game here pretty soon. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we stay pretty close in contact. My girlfriend's, uh, close with Eva. So they've always, we've always been close and, you know, that's, I think that was one of the hardest things for me, you know, kind of going back to your question earlier, what's been the hardest thing, hardest thing is probably not having Craig around just cause, you know, you don't, I, I said this when I did the Missouri state deal between periods up there, but you, it's the truth. You just really don't realize a man's presence until he's no longer there. And, uh, you know, for the first couple of weeks, you really felt like there was something missing. Um, you know, everything was ticking, everything was moving, but there was just always something missing. And it's, it's always been just kind of that, you know, Craig McAllister, aura. I mean, the guy's an ACHA legend. Uh, and so for things to kind of, you know, change that quickly, that was, that was probably the hardest part was, was that you know we miss you ask our other assistant coaches you know we we miss giving him a hard time in the locker room uh just like you you know we like we like poking at him and and having fun with them and so you know you miss that side of things but um you know we're just glad that he's taking care of himself and he's doing a lot better now and glad that i'm able to continue the relationship that i have with him
0: yeah the i'm 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 100 percent agree with you there he's uh I would tell people, you know, we wouldn't have a Western Collegiate Hockey League if it weren't for Craig, uh, because for the longest time, uh, my OU program and his UCO program tried to get into the Central States League, and uh, after about the third time of getting told no, we finally got the message, and we said, okay, what are we going to do? And uh, so I I didn't lean on him uh, on a daily basis uh, like you and some of the other guys did, but uh, yeah, I... It's, um, I, I was, uh, I would lean on him. It's, I, I you know, he's kind of the, uh, the, the, the balancing factor, if you will, in some of the decisions that we've had to make as a conference. And I would always make sure, uh, you know, if, if it was going to happen, I had to make sure Craig was okay with it and that it made sense because he had uh, a long-term vision that I didn't necessarily have and he could, uh, he could balance things out for me. And so I, uh, I can totally appreciate what you, what, what you just said and, and the hole, you know, uh, that you're talking about that was, it, it, it was filled when he was there. And now you didn't recognize the, uh, how, how much he filled, how big that void, uh, would be when he's not there. So, uh, I'm glad to know though, that you, you guys still stay in touch and I hope to see him at a game uh, sometime soon, uh, once he gets his, uh, you know, hopefully he's getting his health issues taken care and underway. As a credit, though, to you, Michael, you know, I've, I was worried that, you know, the, the, the UCO hockey program would stumble, would trip, would have a we – would, we would see a noticeable setback, not necessarily in terms of on the ice because that was going to take care of itself, but it's, off, it's also all the off-the-ice stuff. And as a credit to, to Michael and to your girlfriend and to the folks that you've surrounded yourself with, it's been a seamless transition or so it seems off the ice. I know there's been changes in personnel off the ice with the UCO hockey program, but you wouldn't know it unless you were looking for it, paying attention. So I think that's a huge credit to you and to, you know, your girlfriend and to the folks that you're surrounding yourself with is that um, while it's been, as you say, you know, a challenge and maybe some difficult at sometimes it, at least in front of the curtain, nobody's, you you don't see that. So I think that's a, a feather in your cap and you should be proud of that.
1: I appreciate that. Um, you know, we're lucky to have the people that we have around us, you know, it really takes a village to raise a kid. And when you got 25 of them, you need a lot of people to help you out. Um, I'd be, you know, remiss to think that I could do this all myself. So, you know, having the people that we have around and, you know, my girlfriend Lexi, she stepped into the, into the role of even McAllister. um, And embraced it fully and and it's been a huge huge asset for me to be able to have her and and be able to trust her and she grew up in a hostile family so that that helps and you know again all the volunteers everybody everybody around the program you know they all just as the players um kind of just for lack of better words they just had my back and it's made things it's made things easier and you know it's the ACHA people don't realize uh how much volunteer and just kindness and help you need from people to make things continue to move forward. You don't necessarily have the resources of an NCAA program or heck even some junior programs. So, um, it really does take a group of people. So I've been, I've been really lucky in that regard.
0: Yeah. Very, very nice. All right, well, hey, Michael, I think we've suffered enough, or you've suffered enough with me. So I appreciate your patience, and I appreciate you, uh, g- g- you know, pumping my tires with a little bit of sunshine here uh, uh, on the about the podcast, and that it's you know the best one in the conference. So it's probably the only one in the conference. Um, it's
1: been but, uh, it's been it's been ranked number one on the charts in the WCHL for the past what two three years now.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's. Uh, you know, as, as you said, we got nowhere to go but up. Nowhere to go but That's up. right. So, in and, and this will probably be the best episode of all time, uh, and it will have nothing to do with me, which is <laughs> which is great. So, uh, but Michael, in all seriousness, listen. I appreciate your uh, uh, your time tonight, and I appreciate you taking the time to uh, uh, to talk with us a little bit. And we wish you, I wish you, uh, just personal success through the rest of uh, this season, and hopefully uh, many more there at UCO.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate that. And, you know, thanks for having me. Um, On all seriousness, all joking aside, it is nice to be able to have a media outlet, you know, that talks about our conference and our games. We obviously, being in the ACHA, don't get a lot of coverage. So, you know, and uh, I said I wasn't going to say this, but I do listen. I do. Uh I do check in sometimes just to see just to see the opinion. I learn a lot about our team when I listen to you guys. I learn a lot about the way we played that night. So it's important to check in, and um, it's nice to have something you know for you guys to put the time and effort into this. So, in all seriousness, you know you guys do a good job.
0: Well, I appreciate that. I'll I'll, I'll take all the credit for it, and I won't give Andrew any of it since uh, since he's kind of a OU schmuck. So. Uh, there you go who's that who's that Uh, guy (laughs) (laughs) all right hey that's uh central oklahoma head coach michael rivera thanks again michael for being on this edition of the wchl podcast no problem